Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. I'm Brad Watson. This is our second episode in our series of episodes on how to start a missional community. This episode, Jared Pickney and I are going to talk about the need for leaders, what a leader is, and lastly, how you can find out if you are one and how to find support and coaching as a leader. Uh, Leadership is phenomenally important. We'll talk about it quite a bit in this episode. But starting a missional community actually, besides knowing what it is and the vision like we talked about last episode, the next thing to discover and understand is who are the leaders? What does it mean to be a leader? What is your own personal expectation if you are the leader? So that's what this episode is all about. Thanks for joining us. This is part of a series where we're walking through the missional community checklist. You can download that resource for free and kind of follow along as we go through this as we're going to talk about every item on that checklist in an intentional way. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive into today's conversation. This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing and living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome back to the Saturate Podcast, Jared. Still in Paragold. You're still here, man. Is it everything you hoped it would be? Yeah. 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 Awesome, man. I think I expected more corn dogs on the street or something. You thought that would happen. <laughs> There's nobody on the street right now. No one's here. It's yeah. It's I bet it's hustling and bustling on the weekdays. Nah, not really, man. <laughs> this is it. Sunday morning's about as busy as it gets. Right. That's gonna around be these parts. So I'm looking forward to seeing that tomorrow. Yeah, you'll no, be I preaching just, two services. Hope you're ready. I can't wait to hear you uh, talk about Barack Obama in a uh, highly, highly Republican state. It's gonna be good. Yeah. Are you? Are you nervous? How nervous are you about it? I'm not that nervous. I think. I think uh, people know that those out on the West Coast are pretty liberal, yeah. you know, and so they're expecting a guy to come in that's, you know, a little bit maybe flaky theologically. <laughs> and, you know, they, I'm not saying Obama's flaky. I'm just, you know, maybe we should not even have this conversation. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's I just think it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I'll just say that much. Yeah, it is. I'm going to be, I usually sit on the front row. I might move back to the third or fourth tomorrow. So just the, to kind of watch some expressions. Just to put you at ease, it's kind of like... My, like my wife eye rolls whenever I use this opening oh, she illustration. Does. She's like, oh my gosh, Obama again. I but I think it's just ca- because when Obama became president, there was such the swell of this is going to change everything. Yeah, that's a he's, good he's super educated, super famous. Like the dude got a Nobel Peace Prize for becoming president. Like never in before yeah. history of that award yeah, has that been. Deal. He won a Grammy he, really? Yeah, for reading his own book. You know, so he's so accomplished, so famous. Being the president, he had all this power. The whole campaign was about hope and change. Huh. Elect me, yeah. and yeah. we can have hope yeah. again, sure. and we'll have change. Yeah. We'll change the world yeah. that way. And when he stopped being president and he gave his farewell address, he said, like, unless there's a change in all of you, our country's not going to change. Yeah. Turn the tables. He turned the tables at the end. The tables have been turned. Yeah, I think he realized, and I think our whole country realized, man, electing a person isn't going to change us. Shoot. Yeah. 
that's not going to change the yeah, world. Man. And that never has. Man, that's good. Yeah. That's tomorrow. Yeah. And then what does change the world is this mission of God mm-hmm. that he's set about accomplishing since the foundation. Which is a great transition to yeah. being missionaries. Yes. <laughs> and it all comes back to missional communities. And this, Yeah, exactly. And to be a missional community, like whatever you call it, that makeup since the very beginning of the, the church, house to house, life on life has been the kingdom way of seeing deep-seated transformation. And so today's episode yeah. is about Obama. No. <laughs> yes, but it is about leadership. It is about leadership. If Once you have, in our last episode, we talked about having a clear idea about what a missional community is. The other key ingredient that needs to get established to start a missional community is leaders. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's where we're at and the type of leaders we really need. Why do we need leaders in missional communities? Why? That's a good question, which I think this is even one of the first conversations you and I had back in the day in some of our phone calls. But uh, I think that our communities definitely need uh, examples to follow. Like, oh, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus and to to practice the way of Jesus, to pattern your life after him, to submit our whole lives under his authority. Uh, We need that. And communities uh, desperately need, oh, that's what a faithful, repentant, growing up in Christ person mm-hmm. looks like. Uh, and I think often we're kind of, at least on the West Coast, we're sheepish about saying that person's in charge, you know, yeah. uh, and has responsibility. But we we desperately need that, that example. The other metaphor that we have uh, is that we need gardeners, not generals. Uh, we need people who are going to organize the community in such a way that spiritual fruit can happen, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's, you know, just kind of side note, this whole checklist that we're walking through, this is a planner box. If you, yeah. you know, structure a community this way, you're kind of setting yourself up to sure. get some spiritual fruit sure. probably. Okay. Yeah. And so we need people that are gardeners. A funny, because again, my background, West Coast where people are like, let's just organic this thing. You know, it's all organic. We're just all on our own. Uh, in Oregon, everything grows all that's like so fertile. Uh, you can go on hikes and find blackberry bushes just like out of control oh, wow. everywhere. And they're just, and they're the worst. Oh, like, really? They're, they're so fine. pokey. The thorns, oh, they're great. Okay, if you can okay. get to the, if you can get to the yeah. fruit, it's sure. awesome. Okay. But the whole, the whole yeah. thing is going to cut you up. And then because it's so fertile, you'll just have blackberry bushes appear in your yard like everywhere. And in our backyard, I was always in the back like spraying it with poison. Don't tell me what. Cutting it down because it just it like hurt my children, like all that. And I think we're like, yeah, Christian community should be like organic like that. Like wild berries just growing out there, you know. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, compare that to in our yard in Oregon. We had planter boxes with strawberry patches in there. And those strawberry patches would be like, so ordered and they would thrive and the the fruit was like easy to pull and all of that. And so complicated metaphor if you're not in a gardening or berries, but our communities need gardeners gardeners. and they need people who are going to put a community in order and they're not going to be absentee, you know, just like I scattered some seed out there, but people are going to say, no, like this is when we're getting together. This is what we're after this year. This is how we're going to try to 
grow as a community. These are the things that are going to bring life to us. These other things are not going to bring life to us. We need gardeners. Uh, and then we also need, every community needs catalysts. People are going to say, remember, this is who we are. We are people called to be disciples who make disciples. We are people called to be a family or people are called to be missionaries. And then how are we doing that and, and being a catalyst for that kind of transformation? So that's, that's why I think we need, we need leaders. I don't know if you would add anything to that. I think just around the leadership talk, it's important that we know what kind of leaders we're looking for. Mm. And so, you know, as you just share about, you know, we need, we need leaders because we need people who are light gardeners and mm-hmm. we need people who are, you know, catalytic. And, 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 and so I think the person you're describing is a specific type of leader. And mm-hmm. I think if we don't have that specific type of leader, that's not going to probably take place. And so mm-hmm. uh, for us, we go to second Timothy chapter two. So Paul's at the end of his life and he's, you know, right into his son in the faith Timothy and is, I mean, this is the, towards the end of his letter. And you would, you know, if you're reading this, you're like, man, what is this guy who's so accomplished? who just like walked in so much incredible power. That's like handkerchief is healing people. And, mm-hmm. you know, like it's incredible missionary. This one's like former rabbi who like converted radically to Jesus. Like what in the world is he going to say? Cause you know, when you come to the end of your life, like you're counting the cost, mm-hmm. you're not wasting words, you know, but in second Timothy chapter two, he comes to the end. He just says like, Hey, um, I'm gonna talk about leadership. Paul knows about why we need leaders. Mm-hmm. Like as leaders go, typically an organization or a church or a family goes. Mm-hmm. And so Paul understands that. And so if you read in second Timothy two, he begins to talk about what kind of leaders he wants Timothy to raise up. So Timothy's a young pastor playing his mid thirties. Right. And so it's like, and he's struggling with his, t- he's timid. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I mean, you need, a, you need strong leaders around you. And so he says, you know, if you read in second Timothy, you really like the first thing is he's like, um, the things you've heard from me, like I want you to entrust to a lot of people. And so like, he's like, have leaders, like the word for entrust there literally means like to give someone something of value, basically like trusting that they will protect mm-hmm. it and care for it well. So it's like the first thing is you want leaders who even like understand like how valuable the gospel is. Yeah. Like they want to guard it. They want to protect it. Like they realize like, this is like, this is amazing. Like if people don't hear about this, they're mm-hmm. going to go to hell. They're going to spend eternity in torment right. apart from light. And they're going to miss out on the life of God's good experience. Like this is very valuable what mm-hmm. we have. And then he says, and trust to rely on people. So you want people who are not just trust or that you can entrust the gospel with who, you know, go and teach others, but you want to entrust to reliable people. Yeah. Right. And so these are people that just like, they're not flaky. They're not like, they're one thing one day, the one thing the next. Like for us, we talk about this in gather, go, grow, give. And so it's like we're looking for leaders who are reliable. Like they're gathering on Sunday mornings. Like they already are going out and seeking to make disciples before they ever get the title. Like they're involved in the DNA. Like they're seeking to grow spiritually. Like they're giving to their time, talents, and treasures. And so look for people who are available, who you can count on, who can show up. And then he says, um, you know, look for people who are strong in grace. So these are people who they get their motivation and strength from Jesus. Yeah. And so more than living for praise of man like they yeah. live out of like the approval they already received from god yeah and i think that's so important i had a conversation with a few mc leaders just this past week where i asked them the question hey if you could clone anyone in our church like who would you clone to, to flourish and experience more of the life god's greatest experience as a church and and the people they pointed out they all had different people they pointed out but one of the things they said that this different person they would clone had in common these different people had in common was they were willing to serve behind the scenes and stay the course mm-hmm. because clearly like 
they were doing it out of a right motive. Like they weren't yeah. doing it because they were like, I want someone to tell me how awesome I is, I am or because, you know, mm-hmm. they're trying to like fix some sort of wound they had from their childhood. Like they truly are serving because like they've been saved by God, like, and they have met Jesus. And they want mm-hmm. people to meet Jesus. And so I think like you want to look for leaders who are just rooted in the grace of God. They know who God is, what he's in from the craft, so that you're truly already how they're called to live. Mm-hmm. And then I would say like this type of person they live a really distinct life. And, 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 and I think even Paul, he says like this type of person, like you need to know if like you're going to live this way, like you're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. So in Paul's letter, it's really interesting to Timothy, you know, he's got this sales pitch. He's trying to recruit other leaders for Timothy. And he says, join me in suffering. It's like the worst <laughs> sales pitch ever. You know what I'm saying? Like join me in yeah. suffering. And then he gives like these metaphors of like, what he means by that? And he says, join me in suffering as a good soldier. Yeah. And so, you know, clearly whenever Paul said that he had, the Roman army in mind, right? like a Roman soldier would mm-hmm. have been in his mind. And so if you think about this, a Roman soldier, and I wrote this down because I, I want to remember it. Um, a Roman soldier had to serve for a 20 year period. Wow. Um, during that time period, they were not allowed to marry. Your allegiance was tattooed on your body. So you had a physical reminder of who you owed wow. your allegiance and loyalty to. Uh, you couldn't abandon or desert the, mm-hmm. the army or if you did, it could result in death. Um, and so to be a Roman soldier, like you had to be focused. It was about yeah. commitment. It was about courage. It was about sacrifice. Wow. And so we, I was talking to you a while ago about the movie 1917. And we just went with some men in our church. And this is one really powerful scene where, you know, one of the main characters, it's Lance Corporal Schofield. And he's given this message of like, you either get this to this battalion because they think they're going into like this cakewalk, you know, battle, but actually like they're deceived. The Germans are, are luring us in and they're going to destroy 1600 people. And so wow. you got to like get this message to them within 24 hours. And so he's like going behind enemy lines trying to get this message. And there's just one scene where he goes into a room like to hide, like in the city. And he finds a woman, this beautiful woman with a baby. And he gives this baby some milk that he'd actually just gotten from like, yeah. you know, some sort of cow pasture. And so kind of like, you know, helps the baby out. But then like this woman's like, please stay. I don't go like, you know, like it's dangerous up there and please just stay with us. And you kind of feel in that moment, like this guy, he's a single dude. He's a soldier. He's been fighting a war, but like here he is in the safe place. No one's going to know he's by himself in this mission. Right. That's, he's got this beautiful woman. Anyway. Yeah. You're going to probably die anyway. <laughs> so why not die. just stay there? Yeah. And honestly, just like, you know, have this intimate moment with this woman or whatever else. And he all of a sudden hears the bell, like under the city ring, like, maybe like it's 12 a.m. And it's just reminded like, I'm on a mission here. Yeah. And he literally is like, I got to go. And he gets up and he walks back out. It's like about to be daylight. She says, like, you're going to get killed. And he's just like, you don't understand. Like, I have this message that I've been entrusted with that I need to to deliver Mm -hmm. for the salvation of these people. Yeah. And he leaves. And so, you know, the the, the picture that Paul even paints, he says the opposite of a soldier is a civilian. Mm. A civilian just hanging out, man. They're trying to play it comfortable. They're trying to play Mm -hmm. it safe. And so the kind of leaders we're looking for are those who, Paul says, are willing to suffer as a soldier. And they Mm -hmm. realize, like, my aim is to please my officer, like the, you know, the, my main, the, the commander, which is Jesus right. Christ. And so there's obviously a sacrifice in that. The second thing he says is, um, you know, that you need to suffer as an athlete. And so the idea behind this is if you read it in context, is he's talking about this idea that the vision behind this is what you do in secret matters most. Hmm. And so he says, you got to compete according to the rules. You about an athlete, what makes an athlete, successful totally. or whatever is not what they do like on the field that day. Totally. It's men they're if you they're eating right, they're exercising totally. right, they're sleeping right. Like right. when no one's watching, they're doing the right things. Those totally. are the ones like people look at LeBron James, he's a Laker, you know, I know you're a big Lakers mm-hmm. fan. Like everybody wants to be LeBron James, right? Right. Dude, the work that guy puts in is unreal. I mean oh, yeah, yeah, he's a freak totally. of nature. But the work he puts in, uh, he works 
hard. Right. Behind the scenes when no totally. one's watching. Man. And there, there's always those uh, infographics. They always do this breakdown of his contract. And he's like, oh, he gets paid $12,000 per second that he's playing basketball, you know, and then per quarter, per shot, and they break it all down. But it always drives me nuts because it's like, no, he's getting paid. I mean, it's a lot, $30 million, sure. but for 24 hours a day, yeah. like it impact, like how he yeah. sleeps, no doubt. what he his eats, relationships, his relationships, what he does, what he doesn't do. Yeah. Where he travels. Like where he tra- Yeah. Like he doesn't where he just, lives. it's all based off of that. All based off of like yeah. him being in, like peak performance when the game happens. Yeah. yeah. So that's fascinating. It's it, man. And so, you know, Paul goes on and he says, you know, basically the opposite, uh, April, if you think about it, the, the opposite of an athlete is basically an, an armchair quarterback, right? It's a spectator. Mm-hmm. And so there's someone who's just like, they're sitting back and they're telling you all the problems and how this needs to be done differently. And that needs to be done yeah. differently. But there's like no skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And so what Paul says is, I need you to suffer as an athlete. Because here's the thing about an athlete. Like not only are they disciplined and they're doing things like they're doing the right thing when mm-hmm. nobody else in culture is, but also like they're willing to get on the field and even in like what feels like a losing season, continue yeah. to stay forward with the mission oh, and the totally. goal. You know what I'm saying? It's like, again, that's they're suffering in that. And then the last thing mm-hmm. he says is you need to be willing to, he says, look for a leader who suffers like a hardworking farmer. And so I am amazed by, we talked about this earlier, you know, I've got a garden in my backyard. I'm amazed how separated we are from the soil. Like you ask most people, where did you get your food from? They have no idea. Like, how did it get from the farm to the table? They have no idea. Like, we're so removed from the process. And the process is incredibly labor intensive. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, and if you think it takes a long time to get food to go from a seed to maturity and then harvested and then onto a truck and then from a truck to the wherever the factory and then from the factory on another truck to the grocery store to the get stocked. I mean, if you think all that, like, spiritual maturity takes way more time than that. And so if you're not willing to suffer by being like, this is going to take some time. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you literally, it's just the definition of long suffering is like leading. You want leaders who are like willing to say, mm-hmm. like, I'm not just going to do this for two months. And if in two months they're not, the people I'm leading are not like at this level, I'm out. Like you need someone totally. who's saying like, I realize like you cannot microwave fruit, like it grows on a tree and that just takes time. Mm-hmm. And so, you so know, good. I would say the opposite of a hardworking farmer is a consumer. You mm-hmm. know, there's someone who's just like, I want an already made product. Totally. You know, and so um, they want something quick, fix, right? Amazon Prime type culture. Yeah. You know, it's like, I want it like tomorrow. And so yeah. it's very important that we look for leaders who are willing to suffer like the hardworking farmer. And I would say, by the way, as someone who, who gardens, uh, nobody enjoys our fruit and vegetables more than we do. Mm-hmm. Nobody does. Yeah. Because we're the ones who planted it, who mm-hmm. tilled the soil, who weeded, who got out there in the heat and sweated and, and and who, you know, blocks it, Absolutely. tries to fence it away from pests and all that. And so when we taste it, mm-hmm. it's going to taste way better to us than it does to you. And so I would just say, like, mm-hmm. to those who are willing to pay that price, Absolutely. like the fruit is so much sweeter. Okay. So that's the kind of leaders. I mean, I think Paul would lay out for us that, honestly, like we look for in the church. Totally. Mission communities. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And I think that's so um, such a good picture and such a good way to even describe what Paul was telling us to look for. And I think, I love that you went to second Timothy. It's so funny for us in our church, we go to first Timothy and we look at the deacon qualifications okay. and we say, but, but I think it's interesting because the deacon qualification, we think servant leaders appointed by the church publicly, man, if our MC leaders had these qualifications, then they're probably going to be good leaders, sure. but the, it's, it's not the imagery that you have. It's just more like the straight up. Yeah. It does. It works. It just some of them. It's like worthy of respect, sincere, not indulgent, not selfish, 
keeping the truths of faith, trustworthy, temperate, faithful to their family, tested. And then in Acts, we see the first deacons dependent on the spirit and wise, you know, and that's, that's what we're looking for. But I love yours. I'm going to, I'm going to steal those, put those in our leader packet. But I think, yeah, I think that's, that's really important for leaders to understand what it is that they're getting themselves into and what their, what their role really is. My daughter played on a pretty competitive soccer team this past year. It was amazing how the team was super dysfunctional in the beginning because you had 14 girls who all thought they should be Alex Morgan and a striker, you know. Uh, But then by the end, every person knew exactly what they were doing. And they were, it was incredible. Like my daughter went from, I'm supposed to be scoring goals to I'm supposed to be a right back. It was incredible to see these nine-year-old, 10-year-old girls just like, thrive who all had raw talent and then just began to really thrive when they knew, Oh, this is my job. And I think that, um, as an MC leader, you really do have to have a clear understanding of what your job is and what your role is and what it's going to take. Sure. As you think about that, what are some of the, like, if someone wants to start a mission community at the crossing, mm-hmm. what do you say? Like, Hey, this is the commitment. This is what it's mm-hmm. going to take. Yeah. So what I just mentioned was the kind of leaders we're looking for. Right. What you're talking about now is what are we actually asking of our MC leaders to do? Totally. Right. And so we just sum it up with the acronym LEADS, L-E-A-D-S. And so nice. one is we say we're, we're expecting you, we're asking you to launch. Mm-hmm. In other words, like we're asking you to keep multiplication, keep the mission, like launch people into the mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And essentially, that's what, we're just, that's what we mean by that. And so yes. it's your job as a missional community leader to keep the mission on our minds and multiplication, all that. Secondly, uh, the E is we're asking to set an example. Mm-hmm. So be someone who gathers regularly, right? Goes, yeah. goes, gives, all those kind of things. You're just you're you're basically a model disciple. You're not perfect, yeah. But there's a pattern in your life where you could look and say, "Follow me as I follow Jesus." Mm-hmm. The A is articulate. So you need to know the gospel. We want you to be fluent in the gospel, mm-hmm. be able to articulate the gospel, and I would say articulate the church vision, mission. Mm-hmm. What is a disciple? All that kind of stuff. Like, you know, the answers to those things. Like you can, you can communicate it clearly. Mm. Um, at church announcements, even is as practical as that is, you know, we have a group me account. And so the way that we have to communicate with all of our missional communities is we'll copy and paste a message to this group me account. And then those leaders are asked to be able to copy and paste that to their, How something as simple that? as that. Yeah. yeah. Or articulate it and then be able to like explain like, yeah, here's yeah. why this is important to go to. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's good. And then the, uh, the D is delegate. And so we can talk a long time about that, but I think delegation is so incredibly important. Like we want leaders who are not going to be like, oh, I need to do it all myself because they're mm-hmm. going to burn out if they do it. So they're able to delegate. And then the last one is uh, shepherd. And by that, we actually don't mean that in the sense of like they're supposed to be caring for like they're, they're providing the soul care. Mm-hmm. We do that with our DNA leaders, which we can talk more about another time if you wanted to. But when we say shepherd, we just mean like they're given direction, like they're pointing. They're the ones like, we're going to meet at five o'clock this week instead of six o'clock. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or they're the ones that if like a marriage is falling apart, someone says, what are we going to do? They're able to say, okay, if you talk with your DNA about this yet, if not, like, okay, well, here's what we'll set up a, a meeting with Adam, right? you know, and I'll make sure and we'll connect you all and I'll go with you. That's like this. So they're kind of the point person. Yeah. It's helping them get direction on where to go. Totally. So L-E-A-D-S leads. And that's what a leader does. They leads. They leads. We're talking about leads leads for days. 
that. No, I love that. Um, I love it. Yeah. So, you know, the question people typically ask us then is like, how much time are we talking about mm-hmm. when it comes to MC leadership? It's, uh, you know, we said to be a member of our church, um, we're asking you to give 18 hours a month. Yeah. You know, and that's through our Sunday gathering, MC family meal, missional community, like, you know, actual mm-hmm. productive mission, and then the, the DNA, which sounds like a lot. But when you think about it, you sleep 225 hours a month, you work 180 hours a month, and you have about an extra 303 hours a month. So we're saying like 18 hours of that, like we want you to give to like being involved in our church. And then to be an MC leader, we're saying on top of just being a good MC member, you also need to show up at monthly coaching, yeah. uh, which is an hour. We do a bi-monthly MC leaders training, which is like an hour and a half per month, if you kind of average that out. And then a prayer gathering, it's bi-monthly, which is an hour and a half. So, um, yeah, total in all, it's like 20, 21 hours. So yeah. That's what we're saying, like bare minimal to be an MC leader, which I know like you're you're already grinning because you're like, dude, that's, that is not an accurate description of how much time it takes to be an MC leader. Well, I like what you're doing because you're, you're, your numbers are like, we need you to show up for this. Like, and that's super clear. You got to cut the bi-monthly prayer thing the leader coaching stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's great. We we say it's 12 hours a month. So I'm kind of laughing. Leader, not just to be like a member, like it's just to be a leader. To a leader. Yeah. And then the way we break it down is spending, it's three, three fours. So four hours uh, a month praying and processing where the disciples are in your community, just praying for them, praying for their their development and all that has to go into kind of something that we've just deeply learned is like the work is prayer. Prayer is the work and all that, like that's 90% of the work. And then there's 10% that we like tangibly do with our hands and proactively. Uh, And so that's why, so four hours a week is doing prayer or a month, sorry. Uh, Then four hours uh, a month is actually planning and preparing to lead your missional community. So outside of the, you're praying for four hours. But are your MC leaders doing that? Are they praying four hours? Oh, that's <laughs> I don't know. Because that's really convicting to me. If so, I mean, I hope they are. I hope so. I mean, we've... we've I, I, I do. I personally, I'll be honest, I do not pray four hours a yeah. month for my MC. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which... So we've well, some of the coaching we've done for that is... Because if you break that down, just like you did, you have 303 you know, hours. Most of our MC leaders were basically saying, Hey, like 10 minutes a day mm-hmm. gets you pretty close to that. Uh, so Man. a lot just set a little timer, you know, and they're just praying at like lunch break or praying in their commute, you know, and you just like make a list of the, here are the names of the people in my MC. Yeah. I'm going to pray for Jim and Sally and, yeah. you know, and like God, like yeah. do, do the work in yeah. their lives. And, and yeah. then, yeah. That's good, man. Yeah. Mine's more probably, if I can be honest, like I pray for my MC like 10 hour, I mean like 10 minutes a week, probably. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> so, which I think, so we started doing that as a, this is your requirement. Yeah. Two years ago. It's the most I don't think before that we weren't. Sure. Yeah. You can't argue that. There's no way you could argue against like, that that's a bad, a bad strategy right. to spend four hours or whatever praying right. a lot for your stuff. So. But your question, are they really doing it? That's, I mean, we help leaders like come up with a plan, but then, yeah. Uh, so then the other four hours is actually preparing and planning. And you had a good point of like, some people don't need that much time, which is totally true. But for 
going through the story of God or some other curriculum or something, it's like you're going to need to prepare and think about how you're going to do that and communicate to people. That's probably all the, the lead stuff kind of fits in that. Yeah. Probably yeah. that four hours. And then four hours a month, we want each missional community leader to pursue relationally someone in their missional community once a month. So if you have 12 adults or six families in your MC, you know, if you think through like, oh, this month are we going to let's have dinner with the, with the Smiths and let's invite them over and we're just going to hear how they're doing outside of the structured time. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of found that in Los Angeles, that's a key thing in helping build community because most people only have time for the missional community meeting, maybe something missional and the gathering. And like we ask a ton for people in our church in our culture. Uh, and so if you don't have that kind of relational connection outside of it, it's actually hard to shepherd those people. Yeah. So okay. that's how, that's how we break it down. Yeah. yeah. I like it. But uh, that one's probably that four hours probably ends up being less. Okay. Cause like go have lunch with the guy in the work week. That's like an hour. Sure. Yeah. But if you have people over your house, that's probably four. There's a little more time. There's a time commitment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which I think if you're thinking about starting a missional community, you've definitely got to be in that boat of how much time is this really going to take? Mm-hmm. And I think we did not, I don't know how long you've been telling people how much time it will take, but we, both in Portland and LA, I don't think we were doing that until maybe four, four years ago, four or five years ago. Before I was doing that, couples would like super struggle they would burn out a lot more. And I think that was one of many ingredients to the burnout, but I think people not knowing how much time to spend on it and it just being like amorphous expectations. Yeah. Expectations. And it's like, Oh, I thought this was just going to be like a little bit more. It's like, Oh, this is, this is a bit more. Mm. Um, and I think that's where more people are burned out or couples too, like husband and wives. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, when are we hanging out with us? You know? And, and then people, while well, we found out we're thinking the expectations were greater, not less than our unspoken expectations. So as leaders, we're like, yeah, it's been like two hours a week leading your missional community. But they were thinking, no, this is my full, this is being a missional community leader means all my free time. Yeah. Lastly, around this topic, I uh, just want to point out, it's one of the items on our checklist is, uh, leaders need support and coaching along the way. It's really necessary to process with somebody else who's outside your community, someone who can ask you good questions, can keep you on track, and who can just you know put their arm around you and say, man, you're doing the really good work. Mm-hmm. And to remind you like, mm-hmm. yeah, no one sees you mm-hmm. doing this hard cultivation that you're doing in people's lives, but I see it and there's going to be fruit one day. And and I think that that we we desperately need that. So even as you, I think it's important as you prepare to launch to establish who's going to be that person for you uh, before you even get going. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's crucial. We encourage our MC leaders with, you know, just let them know before they're launched out that, you know, like we don't just say like, hey, here's the commitment we want you to make to us, but here's the commitment we're making to you. And so it's, you know, you're going to have a direct line to the pastors mm-hmm. as MC leaders. Which might, by the way, if, if you're listening to this, it's like they might sound odd. And, and depending on the size of church, like, you know, 
everybody could should probably have a direct line to you if your church is smaller or whatever else. But our, our church has had a context now where not everybody does get direct yeah. access necessarily to us kind of anytime they want. And so just because we – anyways, I don't think I have to explain why, but I think yeah. for MC leaders – we definitely want them to know, like, man, we have the open door policy. Our phone line's open. Like, mm-hmm. uh, we want them to know, like, if you need resources, like, you, you have a book you want to order or whatever else, or even maybe a conference you want to go to, whatever mm-hmm. saturates coming into, you know, Mythos or right. whatever. It's like, we want to help you pay for that. You know, if you yeah. need to, and we want to pour into your marriage or whatever. And then there is the coaching aspect of it where we do the free lunch for them or the dinner every single month. They get that. We pay for a lunch or dinner and we sit mm-hmm. with them and process. And then, of course, you know, don't underestimate the power of, having a community of leaders they're connected mm-hmm. with. And so that's one of the reasons we do the bi-monthly meeting where all of our missional community leaders come together because honestly, like our MC leaders are the people that I would say are going hardest after Jesus. Totally. And so when you've been with maybe a group of people all week that you feel like you've had to pull mm-hmm. into mission, it's fantastic to be around people that are like fired up about the gospel. Absolutely. And that you're just like, you were my like, man, these are the people I'm in the trenches with. Like these are the mm-hmm. people that like, I'm not alone. Like we're doing this together. So I love it. Man, I was, I just wrote a note, you know, just like, Oh gosh, most of the time we take leaders out. We like go Dutch or whatever. Is that what it's called? Where they pay yeah, for theirs yeah, and we pay yeah, for yeah. ours. We, we <laughs> and it's not, like, Oh, that's a good, we have not had our leaders pay for a launch until and sent. So we were seven years old as a church. I bet the last time one of our leaders paid for a launch was probably two months after we launched. Hmm. I mean, it was that quick that we began to yeah. be like, we're going to build this in our budget no matter what. Yeah, that's awesome. So. That's so good. That's really wise too. So good, so wise. And and I think if you're not in a church where that's built in kind of structure, I think, you know, try to try to connect with someone who can. Even this is not something I'm available to do for all of our listeners. But just, you know, there's a, like the, the guy I mentioned Earlier in, in the last episode, this older guy, pastor, uh, he he just asked me, he's like, hey, can you coach me through starting my first missional community? And so and that was because we have a relationship and we're in the same town. It was it was a no brainer for me. But trying to reach out to those people who like maybe they've led a missional community a few a little bit more than longer than you. And you're like, hey, could we just like talk once a month about this and and really try to seek it out and not put yourself alone out there? Also, I think podcasts kind of created for people to like have some coaching conversation sure. without uh, having to be in this room. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the idea. Uh, another thing just to take a look at is check out saturate. We have a leadership assessment checklist, um, which just kind of helps you walk through like, am I, where am I as an, as a leader and, and what areas do I need to grow in? But kind of figuring that out before you launch is, is really key. And I think maybe we haven't said this explicitly, but, uh, having a team of leaders is key as yes. well. So as you're thinking about starting a missional community, it's not just you. Uh, it's not even just you and your spouse. It's probably you, your spouse, and at least one or two other people yeah. who are going to yeah. meet that need and say, I'm in the trenches yes, with you. Absolutely. I'm going to do that. Yeah, yeah. The image we use is you want somebody who is, you know, sometimes leading MC, you feel like you're pulling a group of people that's on a sled and you want at least one or two other families that are like pulling the sled with you. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. It's good. Gold. Gold. Pull that baby. sled with you oh, like a couple of yeah, huskies, a couple of dogs. Come on now. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's how we... Maybe we won't use that anymore. No, we no, it's <laughs> Just reminds me of like on the basketball court in LA, 
people are like, you're a dog, you're a dog. Or they'll, they'll, they'll get to really be, that's a good thing. Okay, sweet. That means that, right. that, means that you're tough and you're yeah, not going to take anything from anybody, but you don't want to be called a cat. Yeah. No, I do. Yeah. No, we don't have any cat metaphors here. Get that out of here. Yeah, get that out of here. Swat it away. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jared, for, for joining us yeah, again and having me here in Paragold. Oh, dude, it's great. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.